Hey, Jake. You ready to talk about some marketing? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, I guess we're not talking politics today, so we should start off with a basic, what have you been doing the past few weeks? Oh, you know, persevering. persevering. Can't yeah. talk. But that's no different than, you know, when we actually do our other podcasts. It's nice to, you know, hang out around a campfire instead of, uh, you know, in the tavern, a little bit of change of scenery, expanding yeah, the, our little universe that we have going on. Yeah, we we need. Why do you not? You have a fire pit. Why have we not had a real fire yet? I don't know. We need to have a real Can we fire. figure out how to get this whole setup outside? It would be a little bit of a challenge, but I think we could do it. I'd be totally down for that. With the right power source and the soundboard, I think we could pull it off. <laughs> okay. Get a third mic for the campfire. Oh, one of those, like, just just one of those tiny mics. Yeah. And just, that's just for sound effects that, yeah. you know, they sell for ridiculous amounts of money, but you have to buy it because... Yep. They convinced you that it solves a very specific problem, which well, is I marketing. I, I have um, a shittier mic that I bought when um, it, it was like 40 bucks. It was cheap. Um, when uh, James was starting a podcast that we got all of two episodes into about tabletop playing uh, board games, uh, James, uh, Adam, myself, and Ian... We did not get very far with that, but I have that mic and I just don't use it because it's not that great. That might be the perfect type of mic to support over a fire because if it falls yeah. in, that, eh. you know, when it gets melted, it, uh, <laughs> you won't you won't be too heartbroken by it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's what have been, you been up to this week? Uh, reading work. Uh, had a bachelor party, which I was telling you before this. Uh, which is weird to have like in-person event like a bachelor party during this, which is at least in New York normalizing a little bit. Um, it was very shocking to see today uh, after New York doing so shitty for a while, California, Florida, and Texas have all passed us in total cases. Right. Although... So. Not deaths. Not deaths. Right. No, no one will beat us in deaths because uh, no one else forced as many COVID positive patients into the uh, highest vulnerable places in the state. Some places only killed some of their seniors, whereas Cuomo decided to kill at least 7,000 of them. So that's that's why our deaths are so high. Also... Uh did you see what happened in Florida with how they're classifying deaths? I'm going I'm to derail our conversation a little bit because you slightly opened the door to this one. Uh, I, I did not. Uh, a So one of the days last week, uh, Florida County announced, um, you know, among the, you know, here's, here's, the, here's the demographics of people that died from COVID-19. Two of them were under the age of 30. So a local news station wanted, because this, you know, virus is largely, largely, you know, non-lethal to anybody under the age of 60, but, but under the age of 30, you know, they were really like, oh, wow, you had two. 
So they contacted the medical examiner's office and they said, you know, you had two deaths under 30. We'd like to get some more information. And they said, sure. One was 26. One was 20. And they were like, wow, one was 20 years old. Well, the, the, the 26-year-old have any underlying conditions? And the medical examiner said, oh, yeah, you know, he, um, he had diabetes and um, uh, something else with his lungs. Okay. We know it was the underlying conditions. And they said, what about the 20-year-old? And he goes, absolutely zero underlying conditions. And they were like, well... None. He had nothing. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. So he was perfectly healthy. He goes, well, he had no underlying health conditions. And they said, how can you be sure he has no underlying health conditions? Well, he was driving a motorcycle and got hit by a pickup truck that killed him instantly. There were no other health conditions that led to his death. And the reporter went. I'm sorry, you you said he got he was in a motorcycle accident, but yet. I thought he was classified as a COVID-19 death. And he goes, he's on camera. And he goes, oh, well, yeah. And he looks to like someone off camera and he goes, well, he did test positive post-mortem. And I mean, we, we debated this, whether we should classify it or not. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, we reported 100 deaths that day. And, uh, you know, what's what's 99 versus 100? It really doesn't make a difference. And uh I mean, we went back and forth. You hear a guy like going like, uh, yeah. And he goes, but, uh, you know, ultimately we can't 100% be sure if him having COVID-19 didn't cause the car accident. So we just left it on there. And that's why we classified it as a COVID-19 death because COVID-19 will cause a perfectly healthy 20 year old to get T-boned by a pickup truck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, that's the world in which we live in, but we'll save that for our conspiracy corner. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Th- this whole <laughs> podcast is going to be about marketing, but my research down marketing took me down a, a conspiracy and philosophy uh, pit hole. Uh, oh, this is exciting. I, I power read Edward Bernays' propaganda. I mean, it's only 130 pages, but I read it in a week. And um, I, I don't know if it's a book or a manifesto at this point. Well, I um, will say that I listened to 10 minutes of a podcast discussing the book, and I read the description of the book. So I'm right there with you, 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think I sent you two podcasts about it. You did? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, but let, let's start with some, let, let's end how, no more about how this week went. It's been a crazy week, but let, let's talk we about marketing times. We, we do live in crazy times. Let's just talk about some standard marketing. So what, uh, brought this topic to being is you have some marketing experience and I got into a interesting conversation with my wife about, uh, how Walmart and Target are the exact same company, but how they put their brand out there, they market themselves to two completely different segments of the population. And the same thing for like Home Depot and Lowe's. Really, they're the exact same company marketed to two completely different groups. Yep. Um, it, it's a powerful way to... Build your brand yes. is marketing. Yes. Well, the 
most profound lesson I ever learned in college. So this is actually fun because on our other podcast, when well, when we chit chat when we're in the tavern, we're using your degree and yes. your education, and uh, this is fun because we get to dabble in my degree and my education. Uh, most of which is worthless because uh, you don't learn anything about marketing and advertising in school because it all just hits you once you get in the real world. Um, but the most profound thing I ever learned in terms of marketing is you don't market um, a specific item or thing or idea. You market um, a niche. And the best example of that is Head and Shoulders. Head and Shoulders decided, well, whoever before Head and Shoulders existed, someone decided they wanted to break, they wanted to sell shampoo. They wanted to make and sell shampoo. And they looked at the shampoo aisle, and there's a thousand different types of shampoo. They all do the same thing, they all smell differently. You know, there's really no difference between shampoo A and shampoo B. This one has shea butter. Oh, that's great. This one, you know, smells like roses. This one smells like an Arctic spring. Who the fuck cares? It's this one all gives the exact you orgasms same. in the shower. It's all the same. It's all the same. So the people who created Head and Shoulders went, okay, how can we break into this market? And the genius that they came up with or that they had learned or remembered from anything was we can't compete in this market. So we need to create our own market. And they created head and shoulders. So all of a sudden they were no longer competing with all the shampoos in the aisle because they created their own aisle. And that was dandruff shampoo. In a reality, you don't need to have dandruff to use head and shoulders. It's mild. It really doesn't. The basic... Head and Shoulders doesn't really do jack shit. It's just shampoo. As someone with dandruff, I can tell you Head and Shoulders sucks. Um, I don't by chance know what the brand is that I have upstairs that actually does work, but it is not Head and Shoulders brand is that shampoo. Sel- is it Selsun Blue? No, it's not Selsun Blue. I want to say it's like, it's one of like the name brands that you see in normal shampoo tresemme or something but it's their formula for dandruff okay Um, fun fun fact um so selsun blue uses a different chemical than head and shoulders does but it somehow it you know accomplishes the same thing however do you remember a little movie called evolution the campy horror horror movie yeah where they create they create a blob monster i do oh Really quick, it's Dove's anti-dandruff shampoo. Very okay. good. Okay, Ooh. yes. Yes, Evolution. I do remember this campy movie. And they, they ended up creating a blob monster? Yes. Okay. So in the movie, they come to this weird conclusion that there's a specific chemical that will be neat that can kill the amoeba-like mom- monster that's terrorizing everything. They go, well, how the hell are we going to get you know that chemical and one guy's like oh it's the main ingredient in head and shoulders and ha 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 and then they get a whole they get a tanker truck full of head and shoulders and they spray it on the thing fun fact the main chemical isn't actually the main chemical of head and shoulders it's the main chemical of selsun blue and 
here's where it ties back into marketing. Selsun Blue didn't want their brand tied to the movie. So they ah. said, absolutely not. You can't you can't use this. The problem is the main chemical in Head and Shoulders scientifically doesn't make sense for what they're trying to do and is mostly inert. So they went to Head and Shoulders and they said, look, we already pretty much wrote this to be a dandruff shampoo that is supposed to kill this giant monster. It's not your chemical. It's Selsun Blue's chemical, but they won't let us use their brand and their name. And Head and Shoulders went, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Done. You can use our name. You can use our It'll be fun. And uh, they did. And uh, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, that, that's a fun bit of marketing right there. I but mean, the... The creating two identical products and then marketing them to completely different people is standard wide practice. Oh yeah, I mean, it had to exist for the long time, the longest time. Because, I mean, I know early on there was a difference between a Macy's and a J.C. Penney's. Um, Nowadays, if those companies exist anywhere in any of our listeners' areas, um, there's not really a difference between those two types of companies, but yet they have different clientele base. JCPenney's did that really horrible marketing thing where they tried to become stores within stores a couple years ago. Don't Um, get me started on my hatred of JCPenney. Yeah, I, I won't. Anybody that's listened to some of our podcasts can knows little bits and pieces <laughs> of the history. Maybe we can get into it on this one. Um, but right. on that, like, there, you've got the other department stores, which are completely different. Like, I feel like a Lord and Taylor's different than those types. And uh, uh, right. what, what, what's the fancy one? Von Mar that we yes. have now. And then you have, like, Lehman Marcus. and Yeah. So, but they're all, in the end, they all pretty much offer the same service but they have to you know cater to their client base and it's funny because to get more client base they kind of have to try to steal from their competitors which do the same thing as they do um you don't see that i think as much in walmart and target because they are direct competitors but i feel like they're not direct competitors right um same thing with home Depot and Lowe's, like Home Depot is is the contractor's store. Lowe's right. is the homeowner's no, no store. No muss, no fuss, no frills. Yeah. yeah. You know, big box, not lit, you know, in, in a very welcoming way. You know what you're here for. Come in and get it. Our tool aisle is too narrow for you to walk through because we want you to get in, pick up the tool, and get out. Not right. linger around looking at... This cobalt product versus this cobalt product. <laughs> but they're blue. That's why. Oh, yeah. It's, I, it fits the brand. I, I prefer the Home Depot brand, uh, Husky. That is, my, <laughs> that is my brand of choice when it comes to stuff. I don't uh, know. I appreciate the blue of Lowe's. But there's not a Lowe's near me, so I default to Home, I Depot. Default to Home Depot. Same thing. Um, Although I do feel like a Lowe's is better organized than a Home Depot. And I don't mean organized in as in they put things in a logical order. I mean, when I go to the lawnmower aisle to buy a replacement blade for my lawnmower because I hit a rock and bent that fucking thing in a 90 degree angle, I feel like if I were to go to Lowe's, 
everything would be labeled and where it should be as opposed to when I went to Home Depot and had to dig through 40 different well-labeled buckets that someone had just said, fuck it, and threw everything and every other one. So what it comes down to me for me is if I'm going to do a home improvement project, I will probably go to Lowe's to actually look around and see the different options they have and things like that. If I need a tool or some quick fix item, I'm going to go to Home Depot because I know I can either find that tool or just go to the plumbing aisle and pick up some plumbing pieces that I need. And, you know, I don't need the frills of like, this is pink PVC piping. Don't you want it to look fancy? No, just give me the plumbing pieces that Home Depot carries, you know, that (laughs) contractor logic of right. Just just give it to me. I just get me what I need. And then you have the, uh, you know, the the um, middle child, which is uh, uh, Ace Hardware. Yeah. Which they satisfy their niche. Although I will say if you're looking to get a single screw. Ace is the place. That is what they are good for. Even though I keep calling them up for like other things because they're closest to my house, and like every time I'd like, let me check for you. Thank you. They're very pleasant on the phone because they're all independently owned. And uh, I'm sorry, we don't have that. And so I got to drive all the way to Home Depot. Like, what was it a couple weeks ago? Oh, topsoil. I just need just three bags of topsoil. We got potting soil. No, I need topsoil. I need topsoil. I'm not spending eight dollars a bag to fill in a hole when I need. Can I get topsoil for a dollar a bag? Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do miss Chase Pickens. I mean, the in-between store owned by Wegmans. Yes, that was a failed, failed little experiment, wasn't that? I mean, yeah, kind of. A little bit. Definitely. Yeah. I just remember it being weird that they would take Wegman's gift certificates. I think it's It's weird. Like that doesn't that shouldn't work, especially back then. I I don't think it works anymore, but I thought it was weird that White House liquor or Century liquor would take your shoppers club card for discounts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, this seems wrong. Like a liquor store shoppers club, right? Right. Ooh, also, you, you're an alcoholic. You get the extra discount. <laughs> I also remember, uh, you know, when Wegman's um, cared about Rochester um, and its shoppers, and come Thanksgiving, if you spent X amount of dollars in the store, you got the. The free ham at Thanksgiving, which was very hard not to achieve. It was only like a couple thousand bucks over the right. span of a year, and you got a free ham. And then they did away with that. And I remember like when at the end of the aisle, you would scan the Shoppers Club card, and you'd actually see the price of your groceries go down significantly, right. not by like a buck fifty for a $250 trip to Wegmans. So. Yeah, that's the most disappointing part. Although it is nice that they don't overinflate their um prices like Tops does. Yeah, yeah, and that you have to use the club card to right. get the there there's another good example. Yep. of marketing. Um I mean grocery stores is much more local because I feel like the chains aren't out there, but uh 
I don't like tops. It is just the way tops has marketed itself. Well, uh, I remember when I was little and the it was tops never mops. Don't look at the floor. Yeah. Um yeah, and for us, you know, being in Brighton back when I used to Facebook, I would get the police blotter and I feel like the police blotter was always like robbery at tops next day. Man caught naked at tops. Robbery at tops. And I'm like None of this is happening at Wegmans. I'm just going to go to Wegmans where it's safe to shop. Well, I remember growing up and uh, both Tops and Wegmans were equidistant from my house. So like when my dad would pick me up from school and stuff, you know, deciding on dinner, you would be, okay, well, do you want to stop at Tops or do you want to stop at Wegmans? And almost invariably, every time we went to Tops, something strange and unusual happened. Nothing ever happened at Wegmans. (laughs) Like one time we went to Tops and there was... um, like a six-year-old kid and like a 13-year-old kid in line in front of us. And they were just buying like a Mountain Dew, a can of Coke, and a candy bar. And the lady in front of us, like the cashier, she rings it up. And she goes, okay, that'll be $1.36. And the the one that's 13, he just sprints out. Didn't grab anything, just ran away. Left the six-year-old there. She's like, okay. She looks at him. She's she didn't take the groceries. She just looks at the little boy and she goes, uh, it's a dollar thirty eight. Kid has cargo shorts on, didn't speak a lick of English, sticks his hands in the pockets and then pulls out pennies and just drops them on the <laughs> counter. And she goes, do you have anything larger? And he said something in another language. And she's like, you don't speak English, do you? And he just shook his head. And then she started counting. You don't know how much a dollar thirty-eight is in pennies until you have to sit there and watch someone count it. A hundred and thirty-eight pennies. And he just kept pulling change out of pockets and just drop it. And then she'd be like, "Ooh, a nickel." That gets us forward. And then finally, we got to like forty-one cents. And my dad was like, "Here's a dollar. Just we'll we'll cover it. Don't don't worry about it." And the kid was like, "No." No. And he keeps he then he like got panicked. He kept pulling out more change and just like dumping it like, no, we have the change. And then my dad looks at her and she goes, you tell him he's all good. <laughs> she is like, you're good, sweetheart. He was like, the she's like, no, no, you don't. No, no, no more change. This is enough. <laughs> this is enough. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And, and grabbed the stuff. And his brother was like waiting outside. Like, was that enough change? And he's like, yeah. And then they ran away. And then the second my second favorite incident and then we can move on i mean now now as an adult shot tops is two minutes from my house so i shop there more than i shop wegmans and i haven't had an incident but growing up there were a lot and uh, this one was there was a very large man very fat running towards the exit being chased by three tops employees and they're yelling stop him stop him and they're chasing him and the second his foot crossed the uh, entrance he got side trucked by a tops employee just t- like full-on nfl back when it was a fun tackle and when the guy got hit he went from being very heavy to very skinny as food just went flying out everywhere <laughs> oh my God. hands and a whole turkey and he had i mean he had built up this persona that he was a fat guy so he could stuff all this food in. That was impressive. Your uh, change story reminds me of when I worked at GameStop and 
there was a kid who came in. And I don't know. He bought a Switch or a PlayStation or something. Nice kid. But I was like, you know, at the end of the transaction, I'm like, okay, it'll be $425. And he just pulls out a stack of ones like he just got off a shift at the strip club. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, ah. And he goes, yeah, man, I work at Delta Sonic. It was a really good day for tips. There should be enough there. You don't know counting money until you have to count $425 Mm -hmm. in singles. Mm -hmm. And then doing the deposit that night and trying to fit it in the deposit bag. And I'm like, okay, uh, this is a lot of $1 bills. Uh, And I look at him and go, hey, man, like, just in the future, if you ever do this again, you know you can go to the bank and change the money out. He goes... Well, yeah, but I didn't want to deposit it. And I'm like, you don't have to deposit it. You can go into the bank and say, I want this in $20 bills. And they will turn it into bigger denominations of money. They have these fancy machines that you just put it in and it goes and counts it for you. That counts it for you. Instead of me on the back counter making piles of $20 in ones and then counting those piles. Oh my God. Yeah. That was, uh, has nothing to do with marketing, but that was a fun experience. Yeah. Um, what I find most interesting about marketing is the, the duality of products, how two products can be exactly the same marketed completely differently. And then, I mean, the products basically shit on each other for being the same thing. Like Burger King and McDonald's. Yeah. My my favorite bullshit line from Ray Kroc, who, one, I respect for how he did what he did, but at the same time, I think he was a miserable, awful human being, and he's partly the reason I will never eat at McDonald's. Um, but one of my favorite lines is like, McDonald's means something. You got these, uh, you got these other places, you know, you know, they're the burger joint or, you know, royal burger or, you know, king burger. Like, he'd never say it. He's like, you know, that doesn't mean anything. What does that mean? We're McDonald's. That's an American name. Home I mean, values. If you ever watch that Nick Offerman uh, movie about McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Um, it was very good. But a big thing they point out is he knew he needed the name, too. Yes. The name was part of it. For yeah, him. it's also why the McDonald's brothers ultimately ended up failing after they lost the rights to the name, because then they tried the Big M. Yeah. As, and it wasn't the same. Not the grocery store. Big M. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think, you know, it's interesting how two products that are exactly the same can market themselves and shit on each other and i I think the whole concept of having to sell yourself to consumers is interesting um and i think some of the non-marketing things that have started to come in because your marketing may work too well um like planned obsolescence is a new thing of marketing your cell phone is could probably last six or seven years it is written into those updates to kill it after two 
because I f- how I are you going to keep buying? I find it funny that you think planned obsolescence is a new concept. Oh, no, and I don't think it's new, but I, I feel like it's bigger than it used to be. Um, I will give you the light bulb, my good sir, and that mm-hmm. Thomas Edison invented, well, he probably stole the invention, but to either way, he uh, it's credited to him that there's a light bulb he developed that uh, I believe is still working. Or it lasted for like thirty years. Yeah, there was there was one that I remember in high school. Someone's like, "Oh yeah, man, there's like this fire station somewhere that has a live feed of their light bulb, and that light bulb has been working for a hundred and twenty years, and it's big that this is live feed." Right. Like, that's fun. Look, okay. it's, it's paint drying. Yeah, but so I mean, you get to the early days of marketing and advertising and they they you know you very clearly realize you can solve someone's problem but you can also solve it too well and then you lose a customer yeah or you lose a client and yes built-in obsolescence i mean to give you an idea not to to well to dip into the world of furniture um way back in the day, my dad used to sell a sofa for, um, sold it for $300. Nowadays, um, you know, accounting for inflation, all of that, it would probably be like a five, $600 sofa. So nothing crazy expensive. Sold it for $300 from a factory. And they, my dad sold thousands of them, you know, constantly, you know, one of the hottest selling sofas. Eventually the, the factory got bought out by someone else who destroyed the company. Um, you know, ran it, you know, ran it underground. Um, about eight or nine years ago, some people from, you know, a couple, um, 20 year olds from the town in which the factory used to operate found the original, um, like specs and like, you know, the, procedure of how to build the sofas and decide and bought the name and decided to resurrect the company. So they produce the sofas in the exact same way that they did in the seventies and eighties. No different. You know, nothing's changed. So they're still brown and disgusting looking. So these were modern contemporary. Well, okay. we call them contemporary back then. It was just modern. Um, but you know, single tone, you know, gray or brown, um, and you know, wood, you know, heavy wood flare to it. So they're producing in the exact same way, just using modern tools. That $300 sofa now costs, uh, almost, um, a thousand dollars cost, which means it has to retail for almost double that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just because the way that products are made now you know they build them in to be so flimsy so that it doesn't last more than five years yeah i remember when i was buying my dryer over at orville's um you know we were going through the dryers and there was a dryer that was really really basic there like had none of the bells and whistles that you see in these modern dryers and 
it was four grand for this dryer. And of course, I'm not going to buy a four grand dryer, but I look at them and go, why is this dryer four grand? It literally has a dial on it and you turn the dial and hit the start button. He goes, yeah, that's all it's got on it. And the metal gears in it, this dryer will last you 35 years. It's how they made dryers back in the 60s when your grandmother used to say they don't make them like they used to. This is how they used to. And that's why it's four grand is because it will last you 35 years. Yeah, at 20 years, you might need to get a maintenance on it and have a gear replaced. That gear cost you two, three hundred dollars and then you get another 15 years out of it. I was like, yeah, that they don't make them like they used to is kind of true. <laughs> I'll take the LG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? It's got like 63 buttons and it's impossible to turn on, but it's only 200 bucks. Done. I'll take, take it. it. But it's got Bluetooth connect and I can play music through it. Well, it says awesome. you can, but it, it'll never work, sir. Yeah. It'll yeah. never work. One of the things that I find most fascinating about marketing, and it's the one I get in the most arguments with people about, is um, generations. So generational designations, and we're both millennials, generational designations started from Madison Avenue. And, I mean, it's why there's no generation past the um, greatest generation. You know, there's no real designation because there was – you didn't really have marketing and advertising back then. You know, not not to the level that we have today. And generation form the formation of generations was to understand the consumer habits of people and the psychologists of the day and the you know, advertising execs of the day realized that within a twenty year span, you know, the what what affects someone um, during, you know, pretty much from age 10 to uh, 18 will basically predict their consumption habits going forward. And the reason why I say generational um, designations is what um, I have historically gotten in the most arguments with people is because the biggest problem i have is when people try and assign non-consumption habits to generations Hmm. so the the thing with generations so the big generations we have or that most people know if you know the world you know the greatest generation that was the world war ii generation um then you had the silent generation and they were mainly silent because they came after the greatest generation and, you know, they, you know, they just sort of grew up during this time. They didn't really do anything. That's that's pretty much our grand. That's our grandparents in terms of the the flow. My father's of the silent generation because he's oldest. And my mom's a boomer. So the greatest generation raised the boomer. So generations typically raise two down. Yep. So. The silent generation raised the Xers, which is why the Xers are so vastly different from millennials, because 
boomers were raised by the greatest generation who had just gotten through World War II, greatest period in America. And that's the other thing. Generational information and data is only relevant to basically American culture. Other countries have tried to adopt generations, but the consumption habits of those countries are completely different. To give you just a quick aside, my mother-in-law, who grew up in South Africa, technically is a boomer, but she is more of a millennial because of the life experience that happened to her and how she consumes media and how she consumes everything. So with the whole skipping a generation, the biggest thing that happened in the world of generational um, information, and this is where a lot of people who study generations, there's always contention here. And uh, I don't care what all the experts say. My belief on this topic is the, is the best one. <laughs> that is um, Generation X got cannibalized because of 9-11. So a large impact event can change not only how a generation acts, but where a generation falls. Because it's basically what happens during those formative years decides how you act and interact with consumption is the broad term I use. Whether you're buying something or you're observing something, how you interact with the world is mainly consumption. And so the Generation X is really only about 10 to 12 years. It's a short one. It's a short um, one, and, and it's because of 9-11. And millennials shifted back. So there's a portion. So elder millennials are really a hybrid Gen X because um, they were. Have you ever were, heard of zillennials? I've heard of zillennials. The, it's the, the term for that. What I think millennial is like 84 to 97 and zillennial refers to those that are like 84 to 88 or something. Yeah. See, I don't buy that. Yeah. So my, so the millennial generation was supposed to be, I'm going to pull this out of my ass cause I might, I might screw this up. It's, it was supposed to be 90 to, um, no, it was supposed to be 85 to 2005. In my opinion, it is 75 uh, to 95. So, are you looking that up right now? Dr. Google, uh, PhD, okay. says Gen X is 65 to 80. And millennials is eighty one to ninety six. Okay, um, I argue that millennials start a little bit sooner because of I I go off of I like the ninety six. A lot of people argue that millennials go into the early two thousands, like two thousand five. Nope. nope. It no, it's ninety six because if you were born after ninety six, you have no memory of nine eleven. If you have no memory of nine eleven, you have no real impact from that event quick note on that fuck the zoomers they're what millennials keep getting blamed for millennials have children have jobs and some are even in their 40s now stop blaming us for the zoomers the zoomers are terrible the zoomers were raised by the xers so way to fuck that up i believe but so to get back to the 
to the whole generational designation. And this is a problem that started with our generation. So the best speaker I ever heard, he explained a couple things about millennials. First off, the number one generation that hates millennials the most is other millennials. Yay! Yay! Second, most millennials don't identify as millennials, and he demonstrated this in the most perfect way, and he's like, hey, he said, someone came up to him, and they're like, hey, so there are a lot of names for your generation. What do you, what do you call yourself? Are, are, you, are you Gen Y? Are you, are you millennial? Are you the Y2K generation? What do you call yourself? Steve! Yeah, call myself Steve. I'm an individual, which is a hallmark of the millennial generation. Um, but the millennial generation is when non-marketing people got interested in the generational information and then started fucking it up. I don't – well, and then I'm going to say this and then all of a sudden I'm going to contradict myself later on, which if you're a fan of uh, – if you've come to the tavern before, you'll – understand that this happens from time to time as well as derailing but generation information is only relevant in consumption but with the millennials because of how connected we were to everything they started to try and make sweeping judgments about generations in other realms most most notably politically and it's where they've said, you know, oh, boomers tend to be more conservative. Millennials tend to be more liberal, which if you're looking at the surface and you're falling into confirmation bias, sure, absolutely. That's what you're going to find. But things like – and generational information gets shoehorned so much into politics. It has nothing to do with politics either. Regional information has to do with politics correct yes, there can be some changes between that and i i will say most um there is some sort of generational part to politics and i'm not saying from the millennial boomer type thing it's just historical data that when you're young you're more idealistic you fall into that more no, we can be egalitarian and work together. And as you get older, you're kind of become more crotchety and you're like, no, it's me and Rand Atlas shrugged. I'm going to hold up the world and I'm the only thing that matters. Well, you get that first paycheck and you see how much they took out in taxes and you become a libertarian real quick. <laughs> but with the generations, with millennials, they tried to shoehorn it. And they tried to be like, oh, you know, millennials, uh, you know, they, they fall politically in this. And, you know, I remember arguing when I was younger. I was like, no, because I can I can pick 50 millennials out and I can produce you 25 that are hyper conservative and 25 that are hyper liberal and it has nothing to do with their generation. However, however, the conservative millennial will consume media and information the exact same way the liberal millennial will and that is where generations are supposed to be used it's supposed to be how you market how you advertise and how you reach them a boomer is going to is going to, you're going to serve an ad to a boomer much differently than you're going to serve an ad to a millennial yeah you know i think we could grab a um 
group of 50 millennials and not come to any political consensus between all 50 of them. But we could market to all 50 of them the exact same way. We could. Also, one of the things that happened with millennials that I don't believe happened in any generation previously didn't get a chance to happen with Xers because they got, you know, they got screwed over by getting shortened. But millennials, they're is a fraction within the millennial generation and there are two completely different factions within millennials and it has nothing to do with how old the millennial is it because what a lot of people try and say is oh there's two different types of millennials there's the the elder millennial you know who's the first half and then there's the younger millennial that's the second half and it's not true it has nothing to do with where they fall within the millennial spectrum it has to do with the term real world traction and half of the millennials got traction and half the millennials did not. And the ones that got traction are the ones that either after high school went to went into a trade, got a job, or went to college. And when they got out of college, they got a job. They started families, you know, uh, settled down in their early 20s, early 30s, you know, started having kids. You know, those are the ones that got traction. The ones that didn't are all the millennials that give millennials a bad name that boomeranged back into their parents' basements that uh, lived there till they were 40, that uh, um, never really got a job, that thought they were going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Those are the two splits within the millennial generation. The guy in Syracuse who got kicked out of his parents' house last year, do you remember that news story? Mm-hmm. And was like, you need to let he me back in to get my Legos. Yeah. <laughs> that was what we call not getting real-world traction. Yeah. Now, that person will consume media in a very similar way as the traction millennial but they will not act on it in the same way mainly because they have to ask mommy or daddy if uh, they can borrow the car to go to the store to buy it but this is where i'm going to contradict an earlier point about politics have no place in millennial generations the zoomer generation what we're starting to see right now yeah they're awful however there's a very interesting thing that happened. So millennials, because of 9-11, we grew up in the – in modern times, one of the most volatile in terms of public safety. Because during our formative years, we had 9-11. We had the London bombings. We had the terrorist attacks in Europe. Columbine. So, yep. Timothy McVeigh. So there was a lot of there was a lot of violence. And I think that's partly why there's the two millennials, because there's the ones that just wanted to stay safe with mom and dad and the ones that are like, I don't have much time left. I just need to get the fuck out and do something. The Zoomers, and this is my predictions, um, are going to become fractured the same way that millennials are, but in a completely different way. And it's going to be along a political divide. And my belief is that Zoomers are growing up in the most politically volatile period in history, in recent history. Um, I think the Civil War was a little bit more divisive than what we're in right now. But Zoomers grew up basically on the tail end of W. Bush and the war. And, I mean, you know, we we look at politics now and we go, you know, oh my gosh – you know, look how divided we are. But if you just think back to the early 2000s, we were you can see that we are on the path to where we are now with just I mean, if you look back at 
W. Bush now with the lenses with that we have with what's going on that's been going on for the last twelve years. God, like, he, he looks great. He yeah, he aged very well. His presidency aged fantastically. But at his... the time, we people shit on him hard. He he said things that now we'd go. We understand what he meant. That was a foible. Because <laughs> I, the shit I, I that like Biden and says, fish can coexist peacefully. <laughs> my favorite is, uh, I want to work to help put food on your family. We know he meant family table, but we still made fun of him for it. And yet and, today he just, he had a speech at John Lewis's funeral and... You just look at this man who could not speak well in public and go, man, I long for this guy to be back in office. Right. And and so that's where we when we thought it was bad. Then we had eight years of Obama where the divide got worse. And to be fair, as much as Trump, pretty much his entire plan to win was to create a divided America politically to to get the silent majority to come out and vote by stoking the fires of division we have to acknowledge that obama started that fire okay he Obama's worked he worked on flaw. division he worked on division and and he because it benefited him now because of that that is the climate in which the zoomers have grown up in and part of what makes the zoomers awful is they are a fractured, in my opinion, they are a fractured generation along a political divide. I see a lot of Zoomers on social media. I don't think I've seen a moderate Zoomer yet. They are either a flaming left-wing communist liberal or they are a crazy right-wing Bible-thumping conservative. Yeah. And even the ones that would consider moderate run to one side or the other. And so not to get into politics in our other podcast, but you and I are both moderates. We live in the middle. We may dip our toe to either side, but we consider ourselves moderates. I don't think many Zoomers would consider themselves moderates. I think even the moderate Zoomers go, no, I'm I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal. The Nick... Uh... Nick Sandman, or whatever his name was, the kid who stood in front of the uh, uh, Native American last year that just settled with the Washington Post Mm -hmm. from the Zoomer generation. Right. Hardcore conservative. Uh, And, you know, I know we say this only applies to the United States, but I'm going to reference Greta Thunberg. Um, Liberal to liberal as could be, you know? Right. And it's Uh, it's one of those... You know, you're a child. You have no base. You have no real basis of understanding to hold these beliefs. And because because here's the thing. At that age, unless you are going out there doing the research yourself, you are regurgitating whatever your parents have fed you. Well, so I, I think this is a good time. I, You know, this podcast has been on a winding road, 
but we've relatively stayed on the road. I, I'm going to take the car, turn the steering wheel 90 degrees, and take us deep into the forest uh, in marketing. And let's go into the conspiracy slash philosophy mm. of marketing and um, the fact that I read Edward Bernays' propaganda and now question everything I've ever thought about. Jake, uh, you do not have free will. Every decision you've ever made has been planned and decided by mega corporations to get you to buy things. Exactly. That is exactly what th- that is. <laughs> that is what the book has said. Um, it, it, it's funny because it goes back and forth of like, and, and the companies need to understand the will of the people and work within the will of the people to sell their products but the marketing man will go out and shape the will of the people for the companies. And that is how the people will actually think how they are marketed to think. And I'm like, shit, like, do we have free will? And it went down a rabbit hole. And I'm like, nope, this isn't a book. This is definitely a manifesto and a, a philosophical work. Um, now I will give you, Bernays is um, Freud's uh, nephew, so <laughs> take that as you will. <laughs> that take that as you will. But um, Jesus, this book. Um, he talks about how politicians should be shaping the will of the people. Uh, he talks about how everything could be made better through propaganda, and that propaganda is not a negative thing. I mean, he has a whole chapter explaining why we think propaganda is a negative term because the propaganda around the word propaganda during the war. Yes. That's that's hilarious. So propaganda is just the extreme form of the, um, the psychological manipulation of marketing. Yeah. Is in is in all essence what propaganda is. Also, I feel like propaganda gets basically a blanket term for anything that's marketing that's not consumer based. So, like things that you could just con- that could just be considered as marketing, but for politics would get the designation of propaganda. But and it's it's just marketing, and politics has a ton of marketing. Um, but the question is is like. I don't know. I, I question democracy after reading this book. Well, you should. Well, it's you don't necessarily need to question democracy, but you need to question the information you've been fed on a political scale. And I'll give you the number one tenant of marketing. Number one tenant of marketing is repetition, 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 repetition. In terms of uh, trying to win the battle of the consumer, the brand that repeats itself more times than the others will most likely win out. don't necessarily need to have the best messaging. You don't need to have the best product. Um, If you look at, you know, the most famous brands in history, it's just because they were repeated over and over there's a reason that Coca-Cola 
is an is a alliterative name. There's repetition in it. And then here's the dark side of repetition when it turns in when we move marketing into politics. So one, there's the um, the candidate's name that appears most often in the news usually wins the election. Um, a lot of people attribute that to how Trump won 2016 because, to be completely honest, most people, the majority of people in, in the country are not informed of anything that's going on and they don't pay attention to the news or to the media. So when they just hear the same name over and over, they go to the poll and they go, huh, Trump Clinton. Well, you know, I heard Trump sounds familiar. I'll vote for that one. And before you think, how could someone not know who Trump or Hillary is? I'm going to give you this this quick little sidebar. Um, my uh, one of my coworkers has a nephew that's married that lives in um, Seattle, Washington. He's lived there for the last six years. Had no fucking clue that Chaz existed <clears throat> they they were like oh well i know there was like some type of protest that was going on downtown no clue no clue they don't watch the news they're not really on social media and they just didn't drive to that part of town they live about two miles away no idea no clue had no idea what was going on here's and then here's the other part of repetition in politics and this is the one that gets used the most and this is the one that the mainstream media uses to smear any candidate, any topic, any time you repeat a lie enough times, it will become true. Ah, you mean, um, from the man who shot Liberty Valance, uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's uh, even those who, the majority of those who claim to be informed um, are hitting up social media and reading clickbait headlines. They are not going in. They are not reading the New York Times. They're not reading Fox News. Uh, you know, maybe conflicting opinions on two topic on the same topic um, and forming an opinion. Um, I mean, I I think. It's going to get a little political here. It is an advantage of the electoral college and something our founding fathers saw was that the average person isn't actually informed enough to ever vote. Right. Um, but yet we allow the average person to vote. Um, well, because we need the veil of democracy, even though we live in a republic. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> potentially an oligarchy that is... You know, that's run by a couple marketing giants. Like, um, yeah. everything is marketing. Like, Google is not a search engine, it is a advertising marketing. company. Yeah. Facebook it, it, is not a social media platform, it is a marketing company. Twitter is a marketing company. They are all marketing companies. Actually, I, I got this line from for you from chapter um, six Propaganda and Political Leadership. It's almost one of the very first lines in it. No serious psychologist any longer believes that the voice of the people express any divine or specially wise and lofty ideas. 
the voice of the people expresses the mind of the people, and that mind is made up for the group by group leaders in whom it believes and by those persons who understand and manipulate the public opinion. (laughs) 100%. I mean, there's no transparency in advertising, in marketing. The... The the re- the repetition is key because marketing to work relies on confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is probably the greatest folly of man. You want to know why Kodak failed so many years ago? It's because of groupthink and confirmation bias. They developed the digital camera five years before Sony did. Or if it was another Japanese company, I'm sorry. But they developed the digital camera first. And they sat around in a board meeting and went, nope, film is key. Film is never going to go away. We don't need this. And they shelved it. And they said, and someone was like, are you sure we don't need it? And confirmation bias happened. They looked for something. All they got in return was what they wanted to see. And they went, yep, see, this confirms our point. We don't need a digital camera. Five years later, someone else comes out with a digital camera. They went, oh, shit, we invented that first. And they brought theirs out that was now five years old. We know how technology advances. And they fell flat on their face, and now Kodak is where it is. Although it might come back, uh, going back to their roots. But the reason why confirmation bias is, is so important for advertising, and this is where the dark side of advertising comes in, where advertisements will go out of their way to look like they're coming from different sources to trick you into thinking that you are getting well-informed. The best example of this, uh, there's there's two of my favorite examples. The first one is four out of five dentists um, <clears throat> approve of this toothpaste. Uh, that never happened. And the reason they didn't do five out of five is because that would be suspicious, but four out of five. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's a dissenting opinion there. Okay. We know they're not just bullshitting us. They were bullshitting you. You got hey. hosed. Hey, four out of five doctors say that Lucky Strike cigarettes are the best cigarettes for you. Exactly. The other one is diamond rings for engagement. Oh, God. And that is a complete fabrication by the De Beers Corporation to figure out how to get this slightly semi-precious stone. Because let's be honest, diamonds are not a precious stone. They're a semi-precious stone. But because there's a monopoly on the world supply of diamonds they jack up the price which anybody that ends up going shopping for precious stones might find it hard to believe that there are a number of other precious stones that are more expensive than diamonds like rubies or emeralds and the funny thing is diamonds serve a legit purpose in the world they are a strong cutting tool but you can't make the money off of selling a diamond blade that you do off of selling a diamond ring right and then the other part is a diamond ring has absolutely zero resale value because there is the monopoly on it yeah you can't people will buy a ten thousand dollar diamond engagement ring and that ring is basically useless the second you walk out of a store because any place that sells diamonds can get as many diamonds as they want, as cheap as they want, because the De Beers. But when that campaign first came out, they historically went, how much should people be spending on a diamond ring? Well, I don't know. I think two months' salary. Well, if we're going to get them, to, if we're going to get that poor schlub to spend two months of his salary, why don't we up it to six months? Very well. That's good. And then they flooded the market 
with different articles from different companies and experts that said, oh, yes, you should spend six months' salary on your gal. That would be swell. And then, you know, oh, no, diamonds aren't very common. They're rare. So then people start going out like, should I really spend six months' yeah, salary on a ring? And then like, right. oh, yeah, I, I, read, I read an article last week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You should. That's confirmation bias. And that's how marketing works. That's you repeat something enough times, repeat a lie enough times until it's true. Yeah, I mean, Mike, so I want, I'll throw this one at you. Um, cause as, as someone that uses the world of marketing and advertising, I have my own personal belief on this, but I want to know how you feel about it. And that is big tech spying on everything you do and building a profile on you. What's your opinion of that? It's happening. I mean, do you, do you like it? Do you think it should happen? I don't think we go back from it. Um, I know certain countries are trying to put something that your digital information is your information and that you own it. But here's the thing. But you clicked the terms and conditions. I I clicked the terms and conditions (laughs) and... No one reads them, by the way. I'm not paying Google for my Gmail account. They are providing me a service free of cost. And I would need to be an idiot to think that this for-profit company does not have a profit motive in giving them me this service for free. Now, let's say I was paying $20 a month for my Gmail box. I would feel a lot more inclined to say, yeah, that is my data. I'm paying you that I am buying my data back from you. Right. Uh, I think as long as things remain free, a Gmail account is no different. Uh, A Facebook account is no different than a Eddie Bauer store card that was free. You know what the point of that was? To get your information so they could know what you're buying and then sell your information to other people that would be potentially interested in your purchase in power because you bought it at Bauer. And right. I think it's just a new version of marketing. Honestly, I would love to see what Bernays would think of this modern world of the internet. Um, now where I do get a little confused and perplexed with is what some of these platforms allow to get through as forms of information. Um, the vast growth of conspiracy theories and stuff. I'm surprised that for so long they allowed such a free reign on information and not shaping the world to their opinions. Cause they've been private companies. They could have always been blocking certain opinions and things. Well, the problem with them blocking certain opinions and things, and this is where my views have changed in the, in recent 
months because I was always they're private companies that can do whatever the hell they want. But the problem is they're private companies. They could block and do whatever the hell they want, but then they have to be liable and be opened up to um, everything that comes with that. And I, my biggest problem with what these companies are doing is that they're censoring and deciding what they want and don't want on their platform now. Yeah, no. Like, um, Twitter think- started with zero censorship. 100%. And I think it, previously we've talked about Vine and how they started with that idea and it quickly devolved and went downhill and led to the disgusting cesspool that it ended up being, which is the real reason it got shut down. But the biggest issue I have with big tech right now is pretty much the censorship at the 11th hour, basically. And I think that's the point I'm trying to get across is that I guess I'm shocked Early on, the censorship didn't exist, almost from like day one. But I think that might have been because the lofty ideas set out around the internet right. was that it was going to be. Remember that they were a lot. These people that created these companies were a lot younger back then, and they had their their ideals of everyone is good and everyone is happy, and yeah. we're just gonna we're gonna live on the communist commune, brothers. Well, I also think the lofty ideals of the internet back in the day was that this was going to be some great free forum that was going to expand world knowledge, and it's not that. It has actually added a lot of confusion to the world, and what – I'm not going to talk about scientific truth, but what truth is. Um, It's it's muddied truth, and I think it's funny because – Bernays in the book talks a little bit about how one of the worst things for mass propaganda was when the world became literate because before that, and I, you know, I never thought this way. I always thought like, Oh, when it was the dark ages, propaganda was at its highest. And I was like, but he makes this point. Like before that, let's say the Roman Catholic church wanted to spread a certain doctrine across the illiterate uh, 1600s Europe. Uh, The Pope would have to say, hey, this is the new doctrine. Get that out to all the cardinals. The cardinals would then have to head to their local area, get the priests together, and say, this is what we're spreading out to the people. And then the priest would have to spread it to the people. And a certain priest could be like, no, fuck you. I don't believe that. I'm not going to teach my people that. How are you never going to know that I'm not going to teach my people that uh, this that white wine is the blood of Christ instead of red wine? Let's right. say that's what they're trying to right. propagandize. It's something stupid like that. Uh, I'm not going to do this. The calendar isn't changing. We're still on the calendar that's always been. <laughs> Whatever crazy thing. Right. And until that cardinal then came around and visited that town, they never knew that their propaganda got out. Well, once the written word got out, the Pope could literally just print a bulletin and then people could read it. And now with the Internet, the president can fucking just tweet it out. And his propaganda is now out there affecting the opinions of people 
and it's gotten way easier to control people as people have gotten more literate. Well, it's it's not just the pre- I mean the the media does it a thousand times worse than what the president does. The propaganda pushed by the major networks is has gone to the I mean the best example that I ever saw of what the media has become was I forget it was a newspaper that got bought up by a millionaire and he basically held a it was a video that went viral he held a conference for all the employees and basically explained this is what the newspaper is going to be doing now and and he basically said look your only job is to get clicks and ad revenue you know you're going to you're going to write clickbait and you're going to write pieces about puppies someone was like shouldn't we write stories about the war in Iraq? And he goes, no one wants to read about that. That's not going to sell. You need to write about things that have to sell. And then hopefully if you make me enough money, then we can afford to write your boring fucking article about the human atrocities that are going on in Iraq. And he ends the, he ends the little uh, spiel by going and fuck you, which is a little out of hand. He didn't need to do that, but the, the back, you know, to go back to your point about the dark ages, you know, there was skepticism there because you couldn't read. So even if the priest said, you know, hey, the blood of Christ is now it's it's white wine, not red wine. There was always that. Uh, well, prove it. I got to see it. I got to see it to believe it. But then once you put in a written word, you can always go, oh, look, see, I, I see it right here. I mean, news outlets get caught by that all the time. There's supposed to be that journalistic standard that a t- you know a, a major news outlet shouldn't report on something unless it's been verified by like two different sources. But this has been proven time and time again that it can be fudged. Where you can create a blog and you can write a bullshit article, and then you can get someone to tweet out that article, and then you can get a fake news website to then post that article and then create the blog as the source and then you get someone else to cite that website which gives it a little bit more legitimacy because they're not citing this blog and then cnn picks it up and they go oh credible story x y and z because they're lazy and they didn't do any you know insight into it and then all of a sudden boom you have propaganda and then the best example of propaganda by news organizations is by taking a speech and then taking out a single sentence and then and changing going, the whole meaning of the speech whole tone of it yep. i mean i mean this has been going on dot 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 continue the sentence later right i mean and not to defend trump but the 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 best example of taking something out of context is the there's good people on both sides quote that everyone attributes to him saying, you know, during the Charlottesville uh, um, white supremacist march that he was talking about, you know, that means there's good people on both sides. They were like, there were good people on both sides there. There were the, you know, you had the white supremacists and then you had the, the regular protesters like that's bullshit. There aren't good people on both sides. Then you actually listen to the full clip where he says, 100% I condemn the white supremacists and the KKK that was disrespectful and that was disgusting. 
there were some, there were the protesters that showed up. There were counter protesters. Then the white supremacists showed up. Before they showed up, there were good people on both sides. But we only get there's good people on both sides. And that is the definition of propaganda. You take something large, and you take out one. I mean, Hitler did that with almost everything. You know, you take the the fact of you take some scientific fact, and then you figure you shoehorn it into something about Jews. Into your view, and you're and you're, then... you're like you're like look see, Jews they're they're the problem. And the other part in which propaganda is used you know, in like media and stuff most often is by really bad logical association. Oh, people don't understand. Uh, I'm listening to uh, a philosophy book right now on audible and it's from the great courses. And the first like seven um, chapters are about understanding logic. And one of the very first things is how people don't understand associations. Like people can make connections but don't understand when there's a falseness in that connection. Like I, I could say, um, you know, here's three facts for you. Right. Everything that is blue is poisonous. People eat blueberries. People eat poison and don't die. I mean, yeah, there's a major fallacy in that. But if if I'm just presenting them to you and you believe the three things I just told you, then yeah, people eat poison and they don't die. Well, my because... favorite, my favorite is if, if you ever need an education on a logical fallacy, you need to see Monty Python, and the Holy grail. Oh God. And the witches scene. And my favorite is, you know, after, I mean, I could do the whole scene from memory, but I won't cause I'm sure there's some sort of copyright issue there, but it's at the end where they're trying to figure out if she's a witch. And he's like, you know, well, what do you do with witches? You know, you burn them. Okay. Why do they burn? Uh, I don't know. What else do you burn? Wood. So why do witches burn? Because they're made of wood. (laughs) And then they go through the whole thing of, you know, does wood float when you throw it in water? No. Okay. So now we need to throw it in a pond. No. What else floats? And then there's comical rocks, churches, (laughs) apples. A duck. And then they go, a duck. So, logically, if she weighs as much as a duck, she's made of wood, (laughs) and therefore a witch. I mean, that's a logical fallacy. (laughs) You know. Yes, that uh, is a great movie. (laughs) George Washington is dead, but not all dead people are George Washington. (laughs) I mean, it's... It's... um... First, I want to say, I think we're headed towards idiocracy with this clickbait stuff. I think um, intelligence is being vilified in ways. um, 100%. We're not in an Orwellian future. We're in, what is it, a Huxley future? Because Orwell was, there was no, you are going to be giving no information, only disinformation. We are not in that. We are in the abundance of over-information so that the truth is drowned out by just stupid fucking shit. And it's funny because one of the last quotes in the book is propaganda will never die out. Intelligent men must realize that propaganda is the modern instrument by which they can fight for product for a productive ends and help bring order out of the chaos. Um, 
yeah like hilarious uh and he you know he keeps talking about the shadow council the shadow council that is going to make the decisions for um the common people and i think one of the things that idiocracy loses out on um is that they assume everyone was a moron in idiocracy i think there would have been a ruling class that was not stupid, but lived oh, 100% in their kingdom and uh, let the ruling, the, the stupid class, you know, present Camacho think he's in charge when he's <laughs> not in charge at all. They're just making sure that things move forward for the ruling class that is presenting what you're allowed to think. Right. I mean, you look at our our current world and conspiracies aside there is a oligarchy of power that exists over the planet right now um i mean come on amazon you know jeff bezos is you know richest man in the world is going to be a trillionaire that level of money gains you influence when you you know, when a family has reached a certain level of wealth for generations, you can, you know, you own enough in the back end to influence how things go forward. Yeah. Not beyond the stretch. And it's, and you can seed things in, in innocuous ways and in, um, things that people don't necessarily realize whether it's you know you just put a new product on the market or you know oh instead of i mean the one of the best examples of um you know marketing you know subliminal marketing you know and uh um you know target is one of the ones that does it best by just always having red in every single fucking commercial and they hide their logo everywhere in it so that if you see a target not their logo you just see a target you immediately think of their store because you've been programmed to do so yep and that's i mean that's the level of shadow propaganda that exists in the world is programming you know the the mk ultra if you will of the real world yeah, is, I mean, like from, MK Ultra isn't in the real world, and possibly true. We'll uh, save that for the conspiracy podcast. But yeah. from from the stand from someone who studied marketing and advertising, who wanted to work on Madison Avenue, who does marketing and advertising for you know a living, the biggest you know what you know what I've told people before, and what I you know, one of the biggest lessons is you're not marketing a product, you're marketing a problem. The people who market products always lose. I mean, look at Shark Tank. The person that goes on there and says, I invented this cup um, and it's it's perfect and it will never spill, but the the cup is made out of this material and uh, it costs four ninety five. That it's not going anywhere. But the person who comes up with a car decal and they come up with some bullshit problem like, hey, 
You know how you get your car, you forget where your car is in the parking lot? You know that problem? You wander around for hours? Well, I have a car sticker that you can see from a mile away. <laughs> Solves no, the problem. No, you know what it is? You know, you know how when you're drinking out of a cup and it just it spills all over you, dramaticized black and white photo or video someone drinking a cup. I've created the first ever cup that does not spill. And that's what you need. Actually, when I, I I got two points here, one staying on this cup thing. Uh I actually do have a cup problem um that I'm dealing with. Uh I love these tumblers here that I'm showing you. Now okay. the problem with this is they're top heavy. So any sort of movement, if you've started drinking out of it, a four year old can knock a tumbler over very easily and cause the water to go spilling everywhere. So what I want to make is a tumbler that has a weight in this bottom here so that it is stable as could be. Like, you know, <laughs> wibbles wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> you want this a wibbles tum- wobble cup. I want a wibbles wobbles cup. But that's how I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it based on the fact, are you tired of your cup rattling and your drink spilling everywhere? You need this weighted cup to make sure this does not happen. Oh, my favorite types of advertising are infomercials. The over-the-top theatrics, I just love. I remember being a kid watching one of those commercials, and I said, you know, one day, I remember going to my dad, and I said, you know, one day they're going to make a commercial about how it's too difficult to put toothpaste on a toothbrush, and, and someone's going to, you know, they're going to be like, Oh, oh, and they're going to squeeze the entire tube and it's just going to go on there. We're just going to be like, I don't know what's wrong. And sure enough, it was like 12 years ago. Someone came out with a, you put the toothpaste tube in this contraption that sticks to your, uh, your mirror. And then you just stick your toothbrush in and it dispenses just the right amount, which is technically too much. Uh, but, and in the commercial, they show a lady and she's trying to put toothpaste on the toothbrush and she spills the entire thing. She's like, oh, oh no. That's how normal people think the problems we try to solve, like the quip toothbrush that vibrates the right amount of time that you're supposed to be brushing your teeth because people don't brush their teeth enough. Uh, yeah. Um, the other thing I, you know, I, I wanted to bring back back these logical fallacies and, you know, it's shocking sometimes how people don't understand some basic logical things. Um, I got into a huge debate in 2016 with someone I went to college with, um, they were college educated. They ha- had a political science degree like me. Um, unlike me, they were farther right leaning. Um, by the time of 2016, I made my drift to more center left. And they were trying to, they posted, this was back was on Facebook. I hate that cesspool. Um <laughs> They posted some sort of thing like criminals vote for Hillary Trump or sorry, Hillary Trump, Hillary Clinton, criminals vote for Hillary Clinton. And he had this map up that showed crime statistics and Hillary Clinton vote averages and how the maps overlapped 
and I was like, yes, y- your maps overlap because population centers, more populous areas tend right. to believe in more social structures, so they vote Democrat to have those social programs like welfare and social security and things Democrats would support. Also, when more people are around each other, crime just happens to be higher. You are right that there is a connection, but the connection is not criminals voting for Clinton. It's that people who vote Democrat live in cities and cities have higher crime statistics. And he goes, right. No, 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 no. Like, look at the maps. They overlay. And I'm like, Correlation versus causation. How can you be this stupid and believe this correlation? And I'm like, but that's the problem. Most people don't want to look any it it for him, it was a confirmation bias. It proved that Democrats are bad because Democrats are criminals and we only know they're Democrats because they voted for Clinton. Right. Well, it's like the belief that um you know Immigrants, you know, we have to limit immigration because they're going to vote, you know, Democrat. And that's just how immigrants. If you actually look at the immigrant voting statistics, they overwhelmingly vote Republican. And most of the time it's because most immigrants come from a socialist country that's gone to shit. And they go, I'm going to lean more libertarian. I'm going to take the, you know, the the freedom aspect over the shithole that I just came from because I don't want to go. I mean, that's. But yet there's still this narrative that, you know, we can't, you know, you can't legalize every immigrant. I mean, look, I'm not for just, you know, a free pass. I'm, you know, I'm married to an immigrant. My all my, you know, my wife's entire family, they're immigrants. They did it legally. It was a painful, long process. I don't think we should just give citizenship to anybody that comes over here. But I also think the rules on how to become an immigrant are a little bit too difficult, just a little bit, maybe. But, I mean, it's it's one of those, it goes back to, you know, the confirmation bias. And, I mean, correlation versus causation is the biggest logical fallacy that so many people just get wrong. But once again, it's a tool of marketing that can use. Oh, if yeah. I can convince, if I can convince you that... The correlation is a causation. I've won the argument. And I mean, the one of if you the to understand sort of the dark principles of marketing. One of my favorite movies is Thank You for Smoking. Oh, that's such a good movie. And his argument is absolutely perfect. And there's a scene where he's explaining his son how to win a debate. And he gives his son vanilla and he takes or he gives his son chocolate and he takes vanilla and his son takes the stance. Vanilla is boring. It's an average flavor. Chocolate, you know, has flavor and all of this. And he goes, you know, you don't win an argument by proving the other or you don't win an argument by proving that your side is right. You win an argument by proving the other side is wrong to win an argument. You don't need to talk about the other side. You don't need to talk about yourself at all. You just need to back the other side into a corner and get them to make a you know a false statement or something that's wrong and he expresses that by 
you know, his he his son is, you know, makes the argument for why chocolate ice cream is better. And then he goes, you know, so you think chocolate ice cream is the only flavor? Well, yeah, you wouldn't even have vanilla. Well, no, chocolate's the only one I need. And he's like, well, I'm advocating for vanilla, but uh, it's not the only flavor. You know, you got strawberry, you got mint chocolate chip, you know, you got Rocky Road. I'm for all flavors. So because your position was wrong, everything you have said is wrong. And that goes to the logical fallacy. And that's, I mean, that's the real way that debates work. If I don't need to prove that your topic is wrong, I just need to prove that you're wrong. And then by virtue of you, because you're arguing this topic, that's wrong. And that's what politics has become. I don't need to prove that your candidate is the wrong candidate. I just need to prove that your candidate was wrong about something. Yeah. I I mean, and I think there's a lot with graphics now and people falling for graphics. Um, You know, one of the big ones that I was seeing pre me getting off of Facebook was the, how can you say Hillary Clinton won the popular vote? Look at the map of the United States. Look how red it was. And it's like, yes, people land does not vote. Right. It looks great as a graphic. It's a selling point that people buy, but land doesn't vote. Although I do use that graphic as an argument for the electoral college, because otherwise California and New York city would decide every fucking election, which my argument against it, like, yes, the popular vote has a place. However, the logical fallacy is that we are one united nation. We are a cult. If you really want to break it down, we are a collection of 50 independent nations that decided to have an overarching federal government. And it is, we're dipping away from marketing to politics. But if you go away from electoral college, you basically tell all of the, that land that it no longer has representation in a national election and you'll have another civil war. I counter argument. And this could probably be a whole politics podcast for us. The electoral college. Um, it should be putting that on the list. If the electoral college went away and the correct thing happened, it would lead to the breakdown of parties because with the popular vote mattering, more people could come in and someone who potentially is a third party and more representative of the nation as a whole may not win any single state. But if they get enough votes in each state to garner the popular vote and win the election, the political party no longer matters. Much wider debate on things, though. We'll save that debate. We'll 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 do an episode once we go to the tavern. We'll do we'll do an episode on the electoral college. But I will say, um, you on the surface, it almost feels like with your thought process with that, you fall into one of the logical fallacies that I feel is most prevalent, and that is um, people are good. Mm. And uh, you'd actually have to get to that point because my wholehearted belief is that if we were to abolish the Electoral College tomorrow, uh, one party would win 
it doesn't matter which party. It could be the Democrats or it could be the Republicans. doesn't matter. If you abolish, you go to the popular vote, one party will win, and then you will never have another party win again. Because they will find a way to stay in power because it will be based off of literally two population centers. Which, from marketing, will be way too easy to manipulate because you don't need to manipulate the country. You only need... I mean, we see it right now in politics. The... You only need to hit a couple swing states and a couple cities in those states. That's it. Yeah, under the popular vote, you would need what? New York City, L.A., Houston, Dallas, and Minneapolis. And with those, you pretty much have the election in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you want to see (laughs) massive civil uprising. No, but uh, no, I got to save it. I got to save my talking points on how the popular vote could be good for a different podcast. All right. You guys are going to have to come with us to the tavern where we'll have some drinks and uh, we'll we'll dive into that one. That'll be like four episodes from now, because if you go to our other podcast, you'll hear the long list that we came up with on our last podcast (laughs) and things that we we need to talk about. But to go back to uh, marketing and logical fallacies, I mean, that is. I mean, the crux of getting to trick I mean, it's it's tricking you. I'm tricking you. You don't need everything. We could we can all very well live like Buddhist monks with minimalism and nothing and don't have to be in our massive basements with all the shit that's around us. We don't need all of that. But I have convinced you using logical fallacies that you need the the slap chop because chopping an onion with a knife is just too fucking difficult. You need this thing. And I mean, marketing's just based off of a lot you know the whole thing is just one giant logical fallacy you know i'm gonna need to marie Kondo your life you need to hold this item and go does it bring me joy and if it does not bring you joy get rid of it and then don't buy anything new because you don't need these items because they don't bring you joy Um, i will say i did marie we did marie Kondo our house we started to we did like 75 percent of our house which i know she says is wrong and not the right way to do it but we did that for like four months i felt fantastic and it actually was helpful until i started buying more shit and then it all went to hell uh okay we although you you keep you keep giving me your old shit so (laughs) my house keeps filling up with your old stuff i I need to clear my shit out so (laughs) bring it over um okay We've, we've fallen off marketing. I think we've fallen off conspiracy pretty far. I think we're about ready to, you know, wrap this all up, uh, you know, and understand that the world is a confusing place of marketing and that we are always being sold on something, not only by those above us, but by those around us. You market to each other. Um, Absolutely. All the time. It Everything is a we driving do is force. Yes. Everything is, is marketing. A hundred percent a driving force. Um, so I think that'll that'll take me to the outro quote. And you know, I, I keep bringing up Edward Bernays and propaganda, and that's and I've already quoted him twice. So our outro quote today: Men are rarely aware of the real reasons which motivate their actions. Wow.
That's terrifying. Yep. So I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for inviting me around the campfire. Can't wait to see you uh, for a drink in the tavern. Oh, yeah. A couple days from now, we got uh, (laughs) some southern strategy to talk about. Peace.